You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, everybody. Well, let's pray and we'll jump into the word. I'm I'm ready for this tonight. You guys ready? We're ready. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us, Lord. I thank you once again for another opportunity to gather with these wonderful brothers and sisters, Lord. And Father, I thank you that Jesus said that where two or three are gathered together in his name, that he is right here in our midst. So Lord, wherever we might be physically, I thank you that you are right there. Your anointing is there. The Holy Spirit is there. And that, Father, we believe to be taught your word tonight. Thank you for revelation and insight by the Holy Ghost. And, Lord, I thank you and praise you for just producing life change in us, helping us to become more like you and to uh, just become stronger in every way. And we thank you for it. We believe to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, this is uh, week number three in uh, how to speed up the manifestations uh, to the answers uh, uh, of our prayers. And so we're uh, getting in this. And, and you know, this was, was not my intention for it to take a few weeks. My intention was, and I thought, surely, um, you know, I would cover this in one night, but the Lord just keeps adding to it. So there's some things that he wants us to see and to get from this, but let's take just a moment. Let's review. So uh, here are the things that we've already talked about. So number one is uh, the answer can come faster if the word is rooted in us. So it's very, very important that we have the word of God rooted in our hearts. John 15, seven, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words remain or abide in you and continue to live in your hearts, ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. And then uh, Paul said in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and uh, in all wisdom. And we saw in the the original language that 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 means in abundance, in a great, great measure. So it's very, very important that we let the word uh, dwell in us. And notice that in both of these, the responsibility for that is up to us. It's not up to God to keep us full it is up to us. Now, God provides the food, if you will, the spiritual food, but it's up to us to make the decision to partake and to, uh, you know, feed on the word of God. Then number two, we said with consistency lies victory. We looked at some scriptures, uh, Hebrews 6, 11 and 12, that uh, instruct us, don't become lazy or sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience, which is consistency, inherit the promises. So it's so necessary for us to remain consistent when we're standing in faith. When you are when you have prayed and you're believing God uh, for whatever it might be, stay consistent, stay uh, even, you know, with the word. And the, the word will produce that on the inside of you. Matter of fact, Uh, What's interesting is in Galatians chapter five, patience is one of the fruit of the spirit. So the more you let the Holy Spirit work in your life, he is going to produce 
consistency in us and and develop that as a fruit. James 1, 2 through 4 uh, said this, and I read from the Passion Translation. I want to just read it again. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulty, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can, for you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up great power within you to endure all things. Isn't that interesting? And I love the way that the, the Passion translates that. What is the key to turn on that power for endurance is if we will allow the, the testing, the trial, to do that for us. And uh, the, the in, in other words, the implication is the power is already present. The power for consistency is already there. And if we'll let the temptation test or trial, it will trigger that and produce that. And so it says, and then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. And I love that. Number three is never underestimate the power of your praise and worship. And what I mean by that is spending time worshiping and praising God for the answer. Uh, you know, spend time doing that, worshiping God, thanking him for the answer, thanking him that he's heard your prayers, thanking him that Jesus has already paved the way for us to be able to receive those things. And it's in his name and and you can just lift up praise and worship God for the answer because we have believed that we received it. Number four is, we said this, be quick to repent if you sin, as sin can hinder your faith. And let me say this, unrepented sin can hinder your faith. So if, if we miss the mark, if we sin, and we let it go, and we do not repent of that sin, you are going to short-circuit your faith from being able to work for you. Sin will shut your faith down if it is not confessed. Now, the good news is, of course, from 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, But I will say this to you, and, and I heard somebody say this uh, recently, the, the, the important thing, or one of the important things uh, about making sure you confess your sin is this, sin will destroy your confidence. And what I mean by that, confidence in the Word of God. You remember 1 John chapter 5 says, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if He hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. See, what you need to understand is, is if you uh, allow sin to remain, then it produces shame and guilt, and those two are almost direct opposites of confidence. And so, again, you know, we all miss the mark. We all miss it, but the key is making sure that you repent of that sin, letting the blood of Jesus cleanse you from that so that your confidence in God's Word can stay strong. And then, uh, as we talked about last week, number five is be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. Now, Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five, you know, after we talk about speaking to the mountain and then believing that what we receive in prayer, 
Um, verse 25, Jesus went on, right on and said, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So it's so vitally important that we make sure that we walk in forgiveness, that we forgive people that have wronged us. Don't let things stay in your heart. Don't let those things fester and become bitterness in your heart. And uh, we, we spent a great deal of time last week talking about forgiveness. How does God forgive? How does God expect us to forgive? And, uh, you know, before I go any further in tonight's lesson, I wanted to make sure that everybody had a clear understanding of what we talked about last week, where forgiveness is concerned. You know, we talked about the heart of forgiveness. We talked about the act of forgiveness. And then we talked about the restoration of the relationship and the position. And so uh, I want to make sure everybody understands that, that what God expects us to operate in is a heart of forgiveness. And that's whether uh, it doesn't matter if the person comes and apologizes and repents to you or not in your heart, you are supposed to maintain forgiveness. Now, if they come and repent and ask you to forgive them, then that's when you extend to them the act of forgiveness. You remember Peter asked uh, Jesus the question, if my brother comes to me, how often am I supposed to forgive him? Seven times. And Jesus responded and said, no, 70 times seven. So God's expectation is that we start in our heart to forgive people. And then when they come and they repent, if they come and repent and uh, apologize and ask for forgiveness, then we extend to them the act of forgiveness. And then that takes us to the next part. And that's when the relationship and the fellowship and the, the position of that relationship can be restored at that point. Uh, but God does not expect you for somebody that is unrepentant, that knows that they did wrong, especially and is unrepentant for you to make yourself vulnerable for that person to hurt you again. In other words, God doesn't expect anybody to become a doormat for anybody else. All right. You know, somebody might say, well, you know, what about where Jesus said, turn the other cheek. No, you need to understand the context in which Jesus said that. And that comes from the first part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus preached in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. Now, the first part of that, and I'll just say this as a little side note, the first part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was ministering specifically to his disciples, and he was referring to uh, things pertaining to ministry. Now, what I can envision happened, and the Bible implies this, it doesn't explicitly say it, but of course, you know how people, when they would find out where Jesus was, they would eventually gather. And so he might have started out talking to his disciples and having an intimate um, lesson with them. But then as people began to gather, you could see the tone of the Sermon on the Mount change, and it becomes more general as far as how we conduct our life. Because you remember, he goes on and he talks about prayer, and he begins to talk about other aspects. But, but in essence, what Jesus was telling the disciples when he said, turn the other cheek is, 
essentially this. Don't worry about defending yourself. Okay. Let God handle defending yourself. Now, Jesus was not (laughs) saying to us, you know, if somebody literally smacks you in the side of the face, turn the other side and let them hit that side also. But what he was implying to us and, and, and getting the disciples to understand was, particularly in ministry, there are going to be people who do not like you. Surprise. And then, uh, you know, if they do not like you and they begin to persecute you and they begin to give you a hard time, do not feel like you have to defend yourself. And there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of ministers that have done this and uh, really gotten themselves into a, a difficult situation because it is unnecessary for you to defend yourself if you are right and you're doing right. All right. So just thought I'd mention that. All right. So in forgiveness, again, you have the heart of forgiveness, the act of forgiveness. And then once repentance is made, then the relationship can begin to be restored. You know, and again, you know, we have taught this sometimes in the body of Christ that uh, if somebody really did damage to, you know, let's say a business or ministry or whatever the case might be, if somebody really caused damage in that situation, um, God does not expect you to open the door and roll out the red carpet and give them an open invitation to come and do the same thing again. He expects us to learn from those situations, and uh, if necessary, love people from afar, okay? Now, you can forgive someone, and you can love them, but you might have to keep them at arm's length from you if there has not been fruit of repentance uh, provided. And Jesus told us, you can look for the fruit. You remember John told the religious leaders that came to him for baptism, he said, I I need to see the fruit of your repentance. And so what God wants us to do is to forgive people in our hearts, uh, release them from the debt of owing you anything. That's what you do in your heart. And that way it frees you up whether they come and repent or not. Okay. So in other words, you don't live the rest of your life thinking, Those people owe me an apology. Those people owe me something. And the worst thing you can do is allow yourself to get over to a point where you're hoping something, uh, you know, that God will get them for what they did to you. First of all, okay, understand this, and this is a hard pill to swallow. God loves them as much as he loves you, okay? And he wants them to repent and to be changed and blessed and everything, just like he does you and me. And so, again, you have to let let him handle those things, all right? Release any ill will, let God handle those things, and let him deal with those people, all right? In other words, can I say this to you? Don't try and be people's Holy Ghost for them, all right? Don't be people's Holy Spirit. In other words, he doesn't need you to help him convict people, all right? Just let it go. Okay, so any questions on the forgiveness part? I want to make sure everybody's very clear on that. All right, so everybody's cool. Okay, all right. Now, um, I want to just end that part um, 
Well, actually, let me let me run this together. Um, look over at Galatians chapter five, please. Galatians chapter five, and this this just piggy piggybacks on, on on what we're just talking about. Galatians chapter five and verse six. It's very very important that you and I walk in love. All right. Now, Galatians chapter five and verse six. I'm gonna read it from the uh, the New King James first. But it says this uh, in the the last part. Uh, well, I'll just read the whole verse. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. So, in other words, it, it you know what anybody's background doesn't really matter. What really is going to get results is faith that works through love. Now, the old King James said this, and this is a good translation as well. Faith works by love. Now, the Passion Translation says this, um, all that matters now is living in the faith, now listen to this, that is activated and brought to perfection by love. So we need to learn our faith is not going to work if we are not walking in love. And of course, that includes walking in forgiveness and forgiving other people, walking in love. Another part of that, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but another part of that is this. Uh, love serves other people. You know, of course, you're all familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. I tell you what, I'm going to grab my Amplified Bible. And I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 13 for a minute. I just feel prompted to do that. Let me kind of get myself situated back here. All right, 1 Corinthians 13. And the Amplified just really, really does exactly what it says. All right, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Now, this is a requirement. Faith works by love. So here's, here's what love is. Love endures long and is patient, consistent, and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. Love is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist in it on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It Love does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail, love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready. Now get this, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails never fades out, 
or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Now, I want to say this. There's one phrase in there that if we all, myself included, can learn how to do, I tell you what, it would, it would just go a great ways in helping us to mature, and that is this. Love is ever ready to believe the best of every person. You know, our culture, our society these days, because of social media and all the things. Listen, by the way, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Okay. <laughs> I love the fact that it allows me to connect with other people, uh, family members, and and so forth and so on. But I hate the byproduct of what social media does. And to me, social media does nothing but produce a bunch of comparison, spread gossip and lies, and give people who uh, otherwise would not say certain things to your face. It gives them a platform to be able to express themselves and to hide behind the social media shield. Okay, because I, I've had people absolutely blast me out of the water on social media that would never say some of the things that they said on social media if they were sitting in front of me in person. Now, here's, here's why I say that. Love believes the best of everybody. So what you and I are going to have to make up our minds to do is that if somebody comes to you and tries to tell you something that is, is less than the best of somebody else, you're going to have to let that go and pass that by. And, and you know, I know how um, the proverb says this, gossip is like a tasty uh, snack is a modern paraphrasation of it. In other words, we like gossip because it feels good. Uh, it makes us, some, makes us look better than somebody else and all those types of things. Okay. If you're walking in love, you're going to have no part of that. All right. Because I refuse, if somebody of any of y'all, if somebody came and tried to tell me something that you did or you're said, or you said, um, here's what my response is going to be. Uh, no, I know them. I don't believe that, that they would do that because I'm believing the best of you. I'm believing the best of that person until you prove it. Otherwise, the Bible says love believes the best. Okay. All right. So that's what love is. And so if you ever want to take inventory and find out, am I walking in love? Then go and get first Corinthians 13 and read it and see if you know how you fare against all of those tick marks. Okay. Now that takes us right into number six. Number six is this, and this is a new one. Get involved with being the answer to someone else's prayers. Get involved with being the answer to someone else's prayers. I heard somebody say it this way. Uh, it might have been Joel Osteen or, or somebody uh, that said this. Um, always endeavor to be somebody else's miracle. Mm -hmm. Okay. In other words, if you know of somebody that is believing God and standing in faith or needing answers to prayer in their life, ask the Lord, Lord, is there something I can do to facilitate the answers for their prayers? 
Okay. In other words, can you, is there something that I can do to be the answer to their prayers? Is there something that I can do to be their miracle? God, is there anything that I can do? Do you want to use me in order to facilitate the answers to their prayers? And, uh, you know, it might mean serving. It might be giving. It might be doing something of that nature. But I, I have found and I have learned that if, if I'm standing in faith for something that I have prayed for, the best way that I can move that forward is to find somebody else that has a need and believe in God and see if there is something I can do to meet that need. All right. Um, you need to understand this. Uh, your faith will function better when you get your eyes off yourself. Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay. Because um, here's what we have a tendency to do. When you and I are, you know, and, and I, I get it when your back's against the wall or you've got a great deal of pressure on you, um, what tends to happen is our, we get tunnel vision and our vision closes in on us. And, and it, it does like this to where all we see is what we are dealing with. And one of the great greatest ways to get rid of that is to open your eyes and look around you and see, are there people around me that have, needs that I can help with. All right. Um, you know, it might be as simple as, uh, you know, just encouragement. You know, you find somebody else that's standing in faith and they might be struggling. Hey, take some time and encourage them. Tell them what the word says. You know, there are many times uh, where I'll be, you know, standing in faith for something for myself or for the church or whatever. And uh, I have found that I will get encouraged when I'm teaching the word and encouraging other people, when I'm taking time to invest in other people, when, when, you know, when they're, <laughs> I'm not saying this is going on now, but there have been times, you know, when, when really all I wanted to do is crawl into bed and turn off the lights and, and, you know, just sit around because the pressure was on. Well, the best thing that I have found for me sometimes is uh, take advantage of an opportunity to mm -hmm. teach somebody else the word of God and to impart that to them and bring faith and encouragement in them. Here's the bottom line. Here's what I'm trying to get us to see. The Bible is clear in this. You will reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you want the answers to your prayers to be expedited, uh, the manifestations of those things to be expedited, then so answers to prayer for somebody else is the bottom line. Okay. And just allow God to, to be able to do that. And, and I have down here on my notes and I wrote this and you'll remember this from our series when we were talking about uh, prosperity and finances and so forth, but true prosperity, true biblical prosperity. And this isn't, new to me. This is something I think I got from Gloria Copeland, but true prosperity is the ability to use the power of God to meet the needs of mankind in every realm of life, spirit, soul, body, financially, and socially. That's what true prosperity is, is, is if I have the resources 
then allow God to use those resources to minister and to bless somebody else. Okay. That's what real true prosperity is. Um, little side thought, uh, having a lot of money isn't necessarily prosperity. It's what you're doing with that money that determines whether it's prosperity or not. I'm talking about biblical prosperity. Now the world might call you rich. Okay. But God's standard of what rich and prosperity is, is different than the world's. God's measurement is what am I using those resources for? Am I using those resources to impact somebody else's life? Am I using those resources to see the word of God preached and taught and make a difference, meeting the needs of other people and giving God that opportunity? All right. Now, here's some uh, some things that, that as I was praying and studying this afternoon, the Lord laid on my heart to share with you all. So here's number seven. Okay. Number seven is this. Seek the wisdom of God concerning your situation. Seek the wisdom of God concerning your situation. Now, this could work hand in hand with, with uh, you know, finding scriptures that promise you the answers to your prayers. But in the process of standing in faith, we really need to learn to ask God for wisdom. And I'll explain to you why. And let me just lay a, a little bit of groundwork with this, okay? And let me show you some things uh, or some ways, rather, that God functions and that he operates. And it would do you good to learn these uh, because it'll help you uh, with other areas of your life as well. Okay. So as a little side th thought underneath number seven, uh, write this down if you want to. The Bible teaches in principles and precepts. You will find that the Bible teaches in principles and precepts. And I'll define what those are for you, what a principle and a precept is. Okay. Here's what a principle is. A principle is a fundamental truth that serves as the foundation for a system of belief. A fundamental truth that serves as the foundation for a system of belief. In other words, a principle from God's word is something that you can use as a basis for your belief system. And we all have a belief system. We all have, we all believe things based on the word of God. And so when God teaches us through the word, he will share principles with us that will give us a basis uh, for our whole belief system. And there are several principles that he'll do that, but he will always teach you in principles. Now, a precept is this. A precept is a general rule intended to regulate behavior or thought. A precept is a general rule intended to regulate behavior or thought. Now, what's the difference? One determines what you believe. The other gives you guardrails or boundaries 
around your behavior and your thought processes. Okay. You need me to repeat either one of those? Yes, sir, please present. I mean, repeat principle. Precept. All right. A precept is a general rule. I'm sorry. I, I meant principle. Okay. All right. A principle is a fundamental truth that serves as the foundation for your system of belief. A principle is a, a fundamental truth that serves as the foundation for a system of belief. In other words, uh, we're learning principles of faith that you can base your belief system around. Uh, the integrity of God's word, uh, those types of things. Those are principles. A precept is where God says we need to walk in love. In other words, what that does is provides guardrails for our lives to regulate our behavior and our thought processes. Now, there's a reason that I'm telling you these two, okay? Now, um, Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 10 Um. I'm going to read it to you from, let me, let me look at it, read it to you from the New King James. Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 10. All right, the, um, the New King James says this, Whom will he teach knowledge, and whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from the breast. In other words, has God boiled this down so to, to such a low level that even an infant can understand it? And it says in verse 10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Now, this is actually a sarcastic remark that the, the Israelites were making against God because God, what God was having to do and had done for centuries with them was have to repeat the same things over and over and over and over again. And the, the children of Israel were kind of frustrated with God. And, and basically, let me read it to you out of the New Living. It'll, it'll clarify. It says this, who does the Lord think we are, they ask. Why does he speak to us like this? Are we little children just recently weaned? He tells us everything over and over, one line at a time, one line at a time, a little here and a little there. And, and really what, what you need to understand is that God wasn't trying to insult their intelligence, but what he was endeavoring to do was to get things down on the inside of them. He was endeavoring and is endeavoring and does endeavor to impart truths to us, to impart principles and precepts to us. And what he does is he will repeat himself over and over and over again. And the worst thing you can do is to allow yourself to get an attitude like the children of Israel did and say, okay, God, I have outgrown that. You need to talk to me on an adult level. All right. No. And the reason that God does that is because he has to go back and repeat things because we don't get it the first, second, third, fourth, tenth, twelfth, 
15th time that he tries to get it over to us. Okay. Now, that being said, though, what you need to understand is just implementing precepts and principles to try and get results will not always work. All right, let me say that to you again. Just implementing principles or precepts in your life will not always generate uh, the results that you desire. Okay. In other words, let me say it to you this way, you know, and and I, I like to make sure that I'm very clear in this. A lot of times I teach in order, in numerical order, you know, number one, number two, number three, number four, et cetera, et cetera. I teach that way to produce and to present uh, the information that God wants us to get in an organized fashion. But what you can't do is take those precepts and principles that we teach and make it a formula and think that if you do the formula, you'll always get the results because it doesn't work that way. God isn't regulated to our formulas. Now, there are certain precepts and principles that we need to learn, but they're mostly for our benefit. In other words, what I don't want you to do is to leave, you know, particularly like this lesson and say, okay, well, if things don't seem to be working, then I need to do step one, step two, step three, step four. In other words, hoping that if I pull the right lever, mash the right button and get the right combination of things, then all of a sudden stuff will start happening. All right. That's the danger in basing your life on precepts and principles. Are, are you listening to me? And are you getting it? Okay. All right. Now, let me let me add another piece to this and track with me. Okay. God always leads us in steps and stages. God always leads us in steps and stages. Now, now, what God will not do, now, and it might seem this way when you hear the testimonies of people, but God doesn't do this. Ever, you ever heard the phrase, taking a giant leap of faith? Yeah. Okay. God doesn't work that way. God always works and leads us in steps and stages. Okay. Now, somebody's testimony might seem like they took a giant leap of faith, but no, there was a series of steps that brought them to that point. And I'll prove it to you. Psalm 37, verse 23 says this The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Notice it doesn't say leaps and bounds. It says the steps of a good man. Psalm 40, verse 2, he also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Proverbs 16 and verse 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
Okay. In other words, a uh, paraphrasation of that verse would be this. You may set goals or have goals that you want to accomplish in your life. And, and you know, they could be in line with the will of God, but you need to give the Lord the opportunity to direct your steps to get to those, those objectives, those goals. Okay. Jeremiah 10, 23 says this, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. In other words, God, I need you to direct my steps, to order my steps. Okay. Now, so what I want you to see is that when you are following God, it is always going to be in steps and stages. And so when you are standing in faith, part of this process is going to be God leading you towards the answer in steps and stages. Okay. Are you tracking with me? All right. Now, listen to this. Whenever you ask God for a victory, he will always give you a strategy for you to walk out. Now, this is huge. When you ask God for a victory, he will always give you a strategy to walk out that will bring you to that victory. Always. I mean, I can give you countless examples from the scriptures where the children of Israel would come under attack from an enemy and God would tell them, Hey, uh, I'm going to fight the battle for you. I'll bring you to this place of victory, but he would always still give them a strategy that they had to walk out. Okay. So what does that mean? That means you may be believing God for a financial breakthrough. But here's the thing that you need to understand. There are going to be steps and stages and a strategy that God is going to give you to bring you to the place of victory in that area. There, If you're in need of a miracle in your physical body, there are going to be steps and stages and a strategy that God is going to give you in bringing about and facilitating that healing in your body. Uh, think about in Jesus' ministry. Um, many, many, many times there were situations where Jesus would give the person an instruction, a strategy, an instruction, and tell them what they had to do. And if they would do what the strategy was, it would facilitate their healing. You remember he spit in the guy's eye, made mud, and put it in the guy's eye, and then he told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam? Well, what if the guy said, well, first of all, why are you putting mud in my eye? And then secondly, I'm not going to wash in that pool. Well, he would have missed out on his healing. Why? Because he didn't want to do the steps and stages and the strategy that God was trying to get to him or that Jesus was trying to get to him to facilitate his healing. Okay, now Proverbs 24 and verse 6 in the Passion says this, 
wise strategy is necessary to wage war and with many astute advisors, you'll see the path to victory more clearly. Wise strategy is necessary to wage war. Proverbs 20 and verse 18, also in the Passion, says this, if you solicit good advice, then your plans will succeed. So don't charge into battle, listen to this, without wisdom, for wars are won by skillful strategy. Okay? Now, what am I saying to you? When you're standing in faith, you always need to go to God and say this to him. Lord, is there a strategy that I need? Are there some steps that I need to follow in order to facilitate the answer to my prayer. And if there is, wisdom will come. God will give you wisdom on what you need to do and how you need to walk that out. All right? So, here, and here's why. All right? And here's, here's the main point I want you to get. The main reason that we go to God for wisdom is this, we need a plan or a strategy that is specifically designed by God for us. See, you need to understand something. God is, number one, God's smarter than we are. Number two, he knows how you're made up. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows what will be most advantageous to you uh, in the wisdom that he needs to give you. All right. In other words, you want, you're at a, you want to get to B. you think you know how to get to B, but God knows what he needs to do in order to get you to B, And so you need him to give you a strategy on how to get to B. Is this making sense? But you can't say that five times in a row. <laughs> I'm not sure I could say it two times in a row. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get this out of my spirit. Um, God has a million ways to get the answer to your prayer to you. All you need is one, and He has one that is specifically designed for you. What we have to do is find out from him what that strategy is. And sometimes, I'm going to say this to you, sometimes there's no shortcut in finding out what that strategy is. Because here's what our tendency is. We want everything drive-through microwave. Okay. In other words, Lord, I need this by noon and, and, and actually 1145 would be really good. Okay. And God says, no, I have a strategy that I want, I want you to use. That's going to be better for you. It's going to do more for you. And, and it's going to be better all the way around. Cause here's something else you need to understand about God. Um, 
and I've used this illustration before. Anybody ever been to a parade? Okay, where you stood on the side of the street and you watched the bands go by, the floats go by. Okay. Um, maybe in the last, you know, 20, 20, 30 years or so, um, you know, like the Macy's parade at Thanksgiving, they're able to give you from a helicopter or, you know, a drone or something, they're able to go way up in the air and look down on that parade and see the beginning of the parade and what's coming up in the parade all at the same time. What you need to understand is that is God's viewpoint of your life. He doesn't see what's going by you at the moment. He sees everything from the beginning to the end. And he is smarter than we are and has more wisdom than we do on what is the best strategy to get us to the manifestation of what we're standing in faith for. And what he has the ability to do is to impart to us whatever that strategy is to facilitate that. Okay. Now, uh, what is a strategy? Well, uh, let me remind you, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Every word or every time rather that the word plans appears in that verse, it is the same word that's translated in Hebrew as strategy. Okay. For I know the strategies I have for you, declares the Lord, strategies to prosper you and not to harm you, strategies to give you a hope and a future. So what is a strategy? All right, let me, let me give this to you. Write this down. A strategy is a plan, a method, or a series of maneuvers for obtaining a specific goal or result. A strategy is a plan, a method, or a series of maneuvers for obtaining a specific goal or result. Now, what I find is, is very interesting is, and, and you know this scripture, uh, in, in James chapter 1, and I think we've even looked at it in the course of the, these lessons, in James chapter 1, he starts out talking about temptations, tests, and trials. And then right in the middle of talking about temptations, trust, and trials, he says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Okay. So what James is telling us by the Holy Ghost is when you're in that moment, when you're in that temptation, test, or trial, you need some wisdom from God on how to navigate your way through that temptation, test, or trial. In other words, you need a strategy. Remember the, the definition I gave you is a plan, a method, or a series of maneuvers for obtaining a specific goal or result. All right? So, so here's what I'm, what I'm saying to you. So you pray, you release your faith, you're standing in faith, ask God for wisdom. Oh, are, are there any maneuvers? Is there anything that I need to do 
in order to facilitate the answer to my prayer, not only being expedited, but being uh, able to come to me fully. Okay, it, what are what is the strategy, Lord? Is there a strategy that I need in order to uh, receive this answer that you have for me? Okay, now it might be something as simple as this. You know, you're believing God uh, for a particular need to be met, and uh, you know, I don't mean to you know break it down this simple, but God may say something to you like this something you had not even thought about, go and sell so-and-so, and I'll use that to meet the need. That's your strategy, okay? Here you are praying and believing God for the manifestation of the answer to your prayer when the answer you've had all along, you just needed a strategy by the Holy Spirit and what to do in order to facilitate that answer coming into your life. I mean, that's just one small example. Okay. Are, are y'all with me? You're still here. You've gone home. All right. All right. Now here, here's why this is so vitally important. And I want to look at this and then we'll wrap this up. Okay. Very often, God will not use the same method or strategy to get your answer to you when you're facing a need. Although we would like for him to, because that makes it predictable for us. But guess what? Faith isn't, there's no faith required when you can predict how it's going to happen. Okay. All right. So, and, and the other part of that, the flip side to that coin is it makes it a whole lot easier for us to figure out how it's going to happen if God does it the same way all the time. And here's what will happen. You'll begin to try and help God out because you think you figured out how he's going to do it every single time. And God, you know, when the scripture says that God takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, it's exactly stuff like this. Okay. Now, let me give you a scripture. Turn back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5, please, in the Old Testament. And we'll look at this story, and then we'll be done. Second Samuel chapter 5, and we're going to see something that is human nature, and fortunately, David got right, okay? Second Samuel chapter 5, so let me give you a little bit of background. Saul has been killed, and now uh, David is being exalted to the level of of king, what he's been called to. And so in verse 17 of 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into your into my hand? Notice what David did. He had an enemy. He had a situation that he was facing, but he took time to inquire of the Lord. He got wisdom on the situation. And it says, uh, 
And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. So David had a situation that he was facing. He had an opportunity to overcome that situation. He inquired of the Lord. God told him what to do, gave him a strategy to do it, and he went and overcame the enemy. All right. Now let's go on. Verse 22. Then the, uh, and, oh, excuse me, in verse 21, and they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Verse 22. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Now here, let me ask you a question. Is this not the same place that they just were and just got defeated by David and his army? Yes, same location, same circumstances, all right? Therefore, verse 23, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, and God said, you shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as uh, Gezir. All right, so what happened? Same situation, same circumstances. David inquires of the Lord. God gives him a strategy the first time. Now, what David would have failed in is if he would have assumed same enemy, same circumstances, I need to do the same thing I did last time. In other words, the precepts and principles that God showed me for the first time I won, I'm going to employ those again and I'm going to seek to overcome the enemy. Guess what would have happened? He would have been defeated. Now, that doesn't invalidate the precepts and the principles. What it does, though, is it facilitates the need the next time that he faced the same enemy, same circumstances, he still inquired of the Lord. Why? Because he needed a different strategy. God wanted him to do it differently the second time around. If he had gone in the second time and tried to cookie cutter what he did before, he would have gotten defeated. But what he did both times that was the right thing to do and is what we have to do is inquire of the Lord and find out, is there a different strategy that we need to employ this time around? And of course, there was a different strategy. And what's interesting is the strategy that God gave him the second time around made no sense whatsoever. In other words, God told David, march completely around behind the enemy, and when you hear me start to rustle the leaves in the trees, and it's going to sound like to the enemy, like a mighty army coming to them, rush up on them at that time. Well, who's ever heard of that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. To the natural mind, it makes no sense whatsoever but it was a strategy that came straight from heaven and it gave David and his men the victory that they needed. Here's my point in all of this. 
when you're facing a situation and you're waiting on the answer to your prayer, seek God to see if there is a different strategy that you need to employ this time around so that so that you can facilitate the defeat of your enemy and to facilitate the answer of your prayer showing up. In other words, don't just assume that it's all going to happen exactly the way that it happened last time. Okay, so what you need to do, last thing in, in speeding up the answers to your prayers, short, short, <laughs> making a long story short, is get the wisdom of God so that you can find out, Lord, is there is there something different that I need to do this time around? Is there something that I need to adjust? Because we get the principles of faith, we understand what the precepts are. So, Lord, I need wisdom on how I apply those things in this particular situation so that I can get the victory. Because I think I think sometimes we go into it with, okay, Lord, I know what to do. Here's one, two, three, four, five. I don't really need your help. I'll just follow these steps and, and it'll work. Okay. No, it won't, because there might be a different strategy that you need to employ. Same basic principles but a different way to apply them in that situation. Okay. And, and I think the reason, you know, perhaps that the Lord brought that up in my heart today is because um, we need to always give him opportunity to deal with us in our situation. What is the right move or maneuver for us? Cause what he tells you to do might not work for me. Okay, the principles will be the same. The faith principles are the same, but he might give you a specific strategy that if I if I listened to your testimony and I took that strategy and I tried it, it wouldn't work for me. Why? Because it was unique for you. It was something specific that God wanted you to do and needed you to do at that moment. Okay, that would facilitate your victory. I mean, there the principles are going to be the same. Faith principles work the same, but the strategy, the way that they're implemented uh, for you might be a little different. In other words, there will be some instruction that goes with those faith principles that you need to do in order to facilitate what God wants you to do or what God wants to do in that situation. Okay. And listen, uh, I love the fact that the, that the Lord will do stuff like that because again, like Judy was saying, um, what we want to do, it, well, let me use a big, big example. The scripture says this, had the, 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 the spiritual authorities and the human authorities known what Jesus was going to do, they would have never crucified him. Yeah. But God had a strategy in mind. And that strategy was between him and Jesus. And when he walked that strategy out, it allowed and facilitated the total defeat of the enemy. Okay. So what, what's my point in that? The point is this, that, and, and by the way, God didn't totally broadcast that strategy to everybody else. He gave it to Jesus. And that was Jesus mission for Jesus to accomplish. All right. Are you following me? Yeah. Okay. 
All right. So I believe that that is something that if we will get a hold of that and, and give God an opportunity to bring that wisdom and revelation to us, it'll help facilitate our victory, not only obtaining victory, but to be able to obtain it quicker uh, than otherwise. Okay. All right. Praise the Lord. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.